This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rubin, and today I'm joined by Andam Grebegiorgis, a special education teacher, activist, and now candidate for New York's congressional uh, 16th district. Thanks for, for joining us today. Great to be here. So I wanted to start a little bit, just kind of allow you to introduce yourself to our listeners, learn a little bit more about your background and how you decided to run for Congress. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, great to be here. Andam Gebregiorgis. I'm from Mount Vernon. My parents immigrated to this country from Eritrea in the early 1970s. And I had a, a typical New York upbringing in Mount Vernon. Um, I had the fortune to go to an integrated public school. Um, unfortunately, in Mount Vernon, public schools sort of uh, tail off a little bit after elementary school. So I ended up going to Fieldson, not too far from here, uh, in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, a private school. Ended up going to Yale, majored in political science economics, um, been very involved in, in activism there and since. Um, but after graduating, I, I knew I wanted to become a teacher. I got involved in special education in the Bronx. And really the reality of teaching in the Bronx was something that, you know, it's very hard to describe, to be honest, if you were not, if you're not in, in that situation. I taught in an underfunded school where 10-year-olds had to walk through metal detectors every single day, hmm. where you know, we had 500 students um, on half of a floor cramped into classrooms. Uh, you'd have some classrooms with 40 students per, uh, per room. And so for myself as a, a first-year special education teacher in this environment, um, obviously having very, very different upbringing in terms of my academic, uh, the academic schools I had gone to, this was something to me that was, I would never normalize. Um, and so, you know, I, I was understanding the reality of this school. And at the same time, I was being very aware of the fact that we were represented by um, a 30-year incumbent who, even if he had di- not directly led to the state of the schools, he was someone sure. who had diverted so much of our public money to wars abroad that I very much was against. And it became something that was really irreconcilable for me. When I, in 2003, I was protesting against the Iraq war and... Elliot Engel was someone who was funding it. And I'm there as a teacher thinking to myself, I have to pay for my own paper. My kids don't even have paper in the classroom. We don't even have a printer and a copy machine. And we're spending money on wars that are unconstitutionally legal and obviously not contributing to anyone's safety. So that really overall is the thing that got me into this race. Um, A lot of friends were convincing me to say, you know what, at this after the 2018 midterms, they were saying, you know, Andam, Obviously, Elliot Engel has a foreign policy, which is, for, for much of our generation, we're very much against it. Um, he needs a challenger. We think that you'd be someone who'd be good for this. And initially, I was like, ah, you know, I'm just, I'm but a humble teacher from, from the Bronx. Um, but, but actually. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then I, 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 I jumped in, took the plunge. So, so do you think that it was kind of an evolution or when you were teaching, did you not really have any 
thought of running or was it a build up or was it kind of a split second decision go a little bit more yeah so I, i've always i've always been political but i have not always been involved in politics um you know as i sort of mentioned before my parents immigrated from eritrea so just the nature of our existence is inherently political uh, eritrea became independent in 1993 when i was eight years old so i can literally remember the sort of euphoric feeling that we had not only in our community but internationally um, around that politics and conversations around freedom, justice, equality, liberation were always things that were going on in, in our household. But more specifically to, to recent times, you know, I never had a, a plan to enter U.S. politics. Um, I, I don't think I would have been a special education teacher if that was my plan, to be honest. I, I may have gone a different route. Um, yeah, I, I, it was something that was very much brought on by the necessity of and the urgency of the time that we're in. Um, and I think an opportunity to not only move the conversation in a more inclusive, progressive direction, but actually win. So you mentioned you care about education, foreign policy, dedicating resources to in-district kind of back home type things. Mm -hmm. um, what are the, the main issues in your platform? What do you run on? Yeah, so I think just broadly speaking, economic justice is something that in the south side of Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon in general, throughout District 16, we see as a huge issue, to be honest, throughout the entire country, income inequality is at the highest point it's been in the last 50 years. So thinking about what economic justice means is something that is very important and crucial to the campaign. So in New York City, there was an article that came out maybe two months ago, and this is something that has existed in parts of Westchester, Mount Vernon, Tarrytown, Peekskill. They just came out saying that one out of 10 students are homeless. So affordable housing is a huge issue that um, we're facing, not only in the, the New York metro area, but throughout the country. Affordable housing is huge, and that's going to contribute to economic justice. That's an important social determinant to success in education. Um, Medicare for all is a huge issue as well, especially in areas of the Bronx and in Mount Vernon, where you have people who are literally in poverty just because of medical out-of-pocket expenses. So the prospect of something like Medicare for All is, is really liberatory for a lot of people. It's something that will bring them out of poverty, um, and it'll something that will free up their uh, ability to spend money on other things that are necessary to a dignified life, whether it be rent, whether it be even opportunity for leisure. We don't even get to speak about leisure anymore in, in America. Um, so as I said, housing, Medicare for All, spoke about education and foreign policy. Those are two big things. Um, and a, a Green New Deal is also very important to us in tying that into a federal jobs guarantee. We see all of these issues as, as intersectional, foreign policy linked to domestic policy. Um, and it's something that we've had uh, very good conversations with people in the district about because they recognize that, their pub that our public money should be going back into the community. So I, I want to touch on this and I want to give you the opportunity to push back against the people who say, because there are people out there who will look at that policy platform and say, okay, we need affordable housing, we need Medicare for all, we need a Green New Deal, we need a federal jobs guarantee. How is that really possible? Is, is that something that can come to fruition in our current political era? What say you? Yeah, so I think that's, that, that's a great point and a great question. I think there are two ways to look at it. There's a, a sort of political uh, angle to look at, and there's also an economic angle to look at it. On the political side, we're never going to really 
be able to have these sort of non-discretionary social rights that I believe are human rights and I believe should be guaranteed if we don't have people in office who are willing to have that conversation. Um, and you have to be willing to have that conversation and stand strong in your belief about what is a human right and what should not be allowed to happen in our country and not be worried about political expediency and not be worried about, um, okay, how is this going to affect my approval rating? And so for me, I have a bit of a luxury in that regard since I'm coming from education. This is a, trans a transition for me. I don't have anything that is, is holding me back for speaking my truth and a truth that I know exists in the community. Um, People also speak about then the economic uh, economics of this. How is this feasible? Oh, this is going to cost so much money. Um, and so I think there are two ways, again, that you can look at that. Sorry for sort of going down like a, a branch trees here of just multiple ways to look at things. But there are some, many on the left, actually, who speak about, people may have heard of, you know, modern monetary theory. And like Stephanie Kelton says that she's not going to even answer this question about how we're going to pay for it. Um, and sort of the idea is that since we're a, a monetarily sovereign country who's not tied to a gold standard, that um, you know we're able to actually invest in what we want to invest in with our public money. And, since we're and, not. And for our listeners who may not be so familiar, the idea being that we don't necessarily have to worry so much about deficits or debt. That's mm -hmm. kind of the underlying crux of this kind of new age of, of thinking. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. It's not so much a budget constraint; it's a resource constraint. Um, and any issues that might come around with inflation are things that we can fix through fiscal policy and, and regulate, regulation. So that's one angle, so she wouldn't even answer the question. But I think it's important also because lots of folks operate from a different premise that even if you're not going to think about it from that sort of a heterodox e economic like lens, we literally waste our money on things that many people in, me personally, but also many people in the district just think are immoral like forever wars, um, like unnecessary prisons, like ICE, um, like corporate welfare and tax cuts for the rich. So even if you're not going to take that, that angle that I was just speaking about before for modern monetary theory, we can literally move around and allocate our money differently to ensure that um, everyone is able to, to live a dignified existence in this country. And do you think that Elliot Engel, based on his record, is either has not done that in the past or is not willing to do that in the future? Well, I, I don't want to speak about him for the future, but I would say just looking at his record, um, I think it's it's extremely mixed. I think there are, you know, look, there are some things that I agree with in Elliot Engel's uh, sort of historical record. He's been in office for 30 years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe he has been a longtime supporter of Medicare for All. He is. He's on, he's on the caucus. Um, he supported, he voted against the Defense of Marriage Act back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. You know, these are... The, he, has, he has a mixed record. Yeah. Now, there are some things that I think there it's, it's just irrefutable. With the military-industrial complex, we've seen just continuous votes for the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, even though this last vote, he did vote against the uh, NDAA conference uh, resolution, partially around Iran stuff. Um, so historically, he has been for spending a lot of our public money into the military. He has taken a lot of money from real estate, big pharma, um, military industrial complex, Wall Street. So what his incentives are in terms of looking to the future, you know, I don't want to say, but when we look at who he's getting money from, I just, it, it lends one to believe that he's not going to be continuously receiving these donations if he was not acting in their interest. Mm -hmm. um, in, in your, I assume you're not accepting any corporate PAC. Yeah, no corporate PAC money. Special interest exactly, money. exactly. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just think looking at his record, there's not... 
it's one thing to be able to say like, yeah, okay, I'm a co-sponsor of this, but he's not on the front lines of a lot of these important sort of transformative, uh, transformative changes that we need to have in, in terms of pro progressive politics. Um, but again, I don't want to speak about what sure. he's doing in the future. He has changed a little bit, and maybe this is in response to primary challenging. Maybe this is a response to sort of progressive discourse. He has changed on Saudi Arabia and Yemen. In 2016, he voted against the Conyers Amendment, which would have prohibited uh, weapons munitions transfers to Saudi Arabia for cluster bombs. And, you know, the humanitarian catastrophe in Yemen has been for many, many years. Right now, about 14 million people at risk of famine. Over the last year and a half, Elliot Engel has changed on that. Um, and that could be due to a, uh, a, a closer primary race that he's had in years past. I mean, his, his district, uh, we're in it, obviously. They, they are becoming better organized. Yeah. Um, Elliot Engel signed on to the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was uh, this past session. So, so again, we are starting to see a little bit more of that reaction from him. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com Politics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government, and you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day. I pretty much live there, so if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. But I do want to get now to kind of the state of the race, mm. um, because this is not an ordinary, you know, incumbent primary challenger dynamic. There is a third primary challenger who seems to be well organized, seems to be well funded, um, and he's endorsed by the Justice Democrats, and that's Jamal Bowman. Do you have any interaction with him? What is your take on the angle Bowman and um, kind of dynamic that is going on here? Yeah, definitely. Um, and just for transparency, there are also two other primary challengers. Oh, there are. Yeah, Sammy Ravello and Chris Fink. Um, so yeah, just don't want to don't want to leave them out sure. as well. But um, forgive yeah. my ignorance to Sammy and no. Chris. <laughs> but um, but yeah, obviously um, because of Justice Democrats and you know maybe a couple of other things, Jamal has received a lot of attention. He and I we have uh, a decent amount of interactions at different events in the district. Right, I'm we, sure you, you come in contact. Yeah, definitely, all the time. We actually were at an event yesterday. Um, there was a DSA candidate forum in Yonkers, and, and he and I have a, a, a very, very good relationship. Um, you know, we're not, I don't see us as so much competing with each other. We're all just trying to represent our district in the best way. Um, and so with that, that thinking, you know, he's not, obviously we're challenging for the same position but right. there's no animosity or anything like that we have a, a pretty good relationship and did you also um try to seek justice democrats endorsement yeah yeah so i 
my timeline might be off. You know, I had a couple of phone calls and, and lunches with them between February and April. Um, and, you know, had a lot of productive conversations. They decided in the end to, to go with uh, Jamal. Mm-hmm. In my understanding, there hasn't been a terrible amount of polling done in this district. I did see one um, from the progressive think tank Data for Progress. Mm-hmm. I think this was back in September. September yeah. Um, and it, it showed a lot of undecided voters, mm-hmm. but it did also show that I think it was, um, you know, Angle had 29%, yeah. Bowman had 10%, 10% and you were at 1%. 1%. 1%. Yeah. So at least you cracked, you yeah, know, some yeah, name yeah. recognition. But, you know, Angle is a 30 year incumbent. Mm-hmm. He does have a base in the district. And he now has a 19-point lead over Bowman. Mm-hmm. And, well, at the time in September, a 28-point uh, lead on you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have reason to believe that those numbers are an accurate snapshot at that moment in time? Or do you think that perhaps there is also reason to believe that those numbers could shift moving forward? Yeah. So, you know, I didn't. I actually didn't see the methodology or how the polling was done. I didn't, it didn't seem like it was printed. Um so I, I'm curious who of the 550 or so people that it wasn't they, a huge sample size. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm I'm curious about that, but I imagine that you know the districts, that parts of the district in which we're trying to really solicit support, I imagine that they were underrepresented. Um, so and especially young people who we've been registering and talking to, we have a lot of support amongst young people who are in high school or voting for the first time. So I, I do feel like it was maybe undercounted a little bit. But even if, it, if that weren't the case, um, we, we felt really confident and were excited by the poll because the poll shows that, as you said, a 30-year incumbent who only has 29% of people who are, you know, ride or die for Decided him, voters, yeah, essentially. Is, is a really low number. I would have expected it to be higher. And the fact that, you know, the difference between Jamal and Representative Engel is double the difference between me and Jamal. I see that as just like, you know, it's, it's, it's open for anyone. Um, we have 60% of the district who is undecided, and we're trying to expand the electorate so much more than that that we feel that it's, it's really just open to anyone. And you recently have started to pick up a little bit of momentum. Yeah. Um, you were featured on Humans of New York, which is a massive social media feed. I think they have millions of followers across their channels. Um, was that something that you arranged through the campaign or was that a coincidence? I, I wish I were smart enough to have arranged that through the campaign. <laughs> um, it was the craziest, most serendipitous encounter. Um, you know, it's one of these funny things, you know, like being in Westchester, you can be, I had a meeting in, in uh, I had a meeting for a union, but like I, I live in Mount Vernon, I had to go deep into the city. So I was actually running super late for this meeting. Um, the last train that would have gotten me into the city in time was maybe leaving in five minutes. And I'm like, oh crap, I'm gonna be late for this union meeting. Right. What am I gonna do? That's not a good look. It's not a good look. So I'm literally, I'm running to the train. I, I haven't even combed my hair. I'm a hot man. Normally I actually wear a do-rag on the train because it pats my hair down. And I, you know, when I go to the meeting, I actually, my hair looks like really good. I didn't even take my do-rag. So my, I just looked crazy. Anyway, being from Mount Vernon, this is a sort of like late early thing. The train ends up getting me to Grand Central 35 minutes before my meeting, but it was the last train I had to take to get there on time. So you had a little bit of buffer. I had buffer. hanging out. Yeah. But again, I had been super late. Like I don't have, I'm just like looking like a mess. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, I still could prepare a little bit for this meeting. Do I want to take the subway and go down there immediately? It's about 10 minutes away. 
or should I prepare here? I think to myself, you know what, let me just prepare here. So if, in case if I go to the meeting, they'll pull me in early and I right. maybe missed an article or two that would have given me, you know, you never know what they're going to ask you. So I just, I see a wall, I post up on the wall and I'm just reading in the middle of Grand Central on my phone. Something I have never done before in my entire life. I'm reading on my phone, I see someone approaching me and the man asks, oh, excuse me, can I take a couple of pictures of you? And you know, when I was retelling my sister this story, she goes, why would you let a random person take a photo of you? And I was like, huh, you're right. It actually does sound a little bit weird when I say yeah, it now. It was but bizarre. It, right? But he seemed friendly. I was not doing anything. I didn't think of any way in which he could have exploited me. Like my photo, like I don't know what he's going to do, like crop my face and put it onto like Trump's body. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I didn't, so I was, Trump might do that. Trump might do that. Exactly, yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm strong enough for Trump to, to do that. But yeah, you know, it's... Um, it was just crazy. He, he took a couple photos and then he comes up to me after he takes three or four photos and goes, yeah, so I'm with Humans of New York. And then my reaction was like, whoa, really? This is going to be interesting. It's funny how he didn't lead with that. Yeah, he, he, he didn't lead with right, that. Right, exactly. He didn't lead. And I think that's because, you know, he wants to have genuine, the, the, the creator and founder, the photographer, Brandon, is a really nice guy. Um, I think he wants to have, obviously, genuine interactions. So... If you lead with that, obviously, right. everyone, everyone, everyone knows yeah. that. So then, they, of course, they're going to say yes. So yeah. interesting. So, so what did he, what did he ask that prompted the reply? Did he just kind of say like, "Oh, really? Like, what's your story?" And yeah. For those of you who who haven't seen it, I think it has several hundred thousand likes across Instagram, and I imagine it's it's, it's helped surge your support. <laughs> Have you seen an, an an influx in numbers? Oh, I mean, we've almost close to four thousand donations. Wow, individual yeah. donations. Donations. Individual donations. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's even like, you know, friends of mine uh, or friends of Christian, my campaign manager, who maybe had not donated before, who had not donated before, they see this and they're like, oh crap, I forgot to donate to Anam's campaign. And it's just another thing that is giving more visibility. But and, and it's something that is like, you know, like you said, it's serendipitous. You can't control it. But it does give you a feeling of momentum, a feeling mm -hmm. of credibility. And everyone yeah. wants to be a part of something that they, you know, feel like is moving in the right direction. Yeah. So Even though it has nothing at all connected to <laughs> what, right. yeah. So it's just, a, it's been a fascinating uh, last uh, last week seeing this. But you know, he, he asked me, what do, what do I do? I said, oh, you know, for most of my professional career, I've been a special education teacher. His interest was extremely piqued when I said that. I paused for a second. I go, but, you know, I'm actually running for Congress now. And he just couldn't believe it. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. He was like, what? What is going on? Um, I, I, again, I'm just like a random guy reading in the middle of Grand Central. It's, you know, my hair is looking crazy. So, yeah, it's just it was a funny, funny experience. Um, he, we actually ended up speaking for about... 15, 20 minutes. Um, so that was only a, seg a little bit, right. an excerpt of what I had said. Um, this tourist from France ended up actually, cut, she saw him taking photos of me. So she cut in and then like wanted him to take photos of her. She just, cause she didn't know who he was. Right. Um, so then that took like five minutes and then she wanted photos with me and I was telling him, look, I have actually a union meeting to go to. I can't be. Right, you're, so, you're on the clock. Exactly. So we ended up connecting on the phone a little bit later. Um, and just, he asked me a couple more questions and that was the excerpt that he, God. that he selected. But you know, it's sort of funny. I actually ended up being five minutes late to the union meeting, even though I was, uh, even, even though, though I was early. early. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you have a great story to tell yeah. from it. And now you have the, the picture and yeah. all of the, the aftermath mm -hmm. as a way to. Good thing I didn't have my do-rag on. That would have been well, very right, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if he would have approached you. I wonder, I wonder how people would have reacted. 
That's yeah. true. That's I could have, you know, demystified the do-rag in, in American popular culture. Well, you have an opportunity right here, right now. I mean, <laughs> that, maybe that's a separate podcast. Yeah, it's a separate podcast. Um, so I'm kind of through most of my questions that I wanted to talk about, but I'm curious, for folks who are listening, what is something that um, perhaps would be good for them to know about you that we didn't cover t- today or maybe ways for them to get involved or something like that? Yeah, you know, we have very much taken a divest, invest approach uh, into this campaign. Um, We want to focus a lot on divesting from the military industrial complex that's been in all of our language. That's been, if you look at our policy platform on our website, ondom4ny.com, A-N-D-O-M-F-O-R-N-Y.com, you'll see that we we place a, a large emphasis on linking the connections between what has historically been American imperialism abroad and the economic exploitation we've been seeing, particularly in underserved communities, but really throughout America as a whole. Um, so we're all about making linkages between different policies, taking an intersectional and internationalist approach. Um, so that's something that, that folks can check out on the website. And if people wanna get involved, um, you can again go to, to our website, click the Get Involved page. Um, you can volunteer, you can sign up for an internship. Uh, we, we welcome donations. Um, but again, just being able to have as many people on the ground, even if they're remote, supporting the campaign, there's a lot of work to be done. Sadly, this district in the past election only had about 9.7, 9.8% of people turn out for the election. So even if you're not supporting me, um, we want to see that number higher. You know, We want to have a more engaged uh, populace. We want to have people throughout the district uh, having their voices heard. Um, and so that's not something that I feel necessarily has to be with me. We just want to get people involved. And how can they find you on social media? Yeah, so social media, it's Andom4NY, A-N-D-O-M-F-O-R-N-Y. To be honest, if you also just type in Andom into, I mean, there aren't that many Andoms in America, so you, I'm sure you'll find me, especially not a lot of Andom Gebergorgases. So um, yeah, we're out there. You just type in Andam and you'll find someone. Awesome. Andam, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks this for having me. Pleasure. Appreciate um, it. And uh, I hope everyone has a chance to, to check him out and, and keep up with his race. This is definitely going to be one of the higher profile races that are going on. And uh, uh, Representative Angle is the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. So anything that is involving his reelection will probably be making some headlines. So I'm so glad we could make this happen. Thanks Thank for you. coming on. And uh, stay tuned for our next episode.